Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image and made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I like that last phrase we just read, in the meekness of wisdom. Whenever we come to a passage of scripture that is so evidently understandable and has to do with something that is so common and close to us, Sometimes we need a little humility, a little meekness in our approach because we realize what great failures we are. The subject among the many subjects that James brings up now is the subject of speech or words or as he uses most of the time, the tongue, the very instrument of speech. And it's the power of speech, the power of these words. And a good portion of the passage, as you heard, was quite negative, showing that we do have speech, an awesome power. But it is so often used in a deleterious, wrong, hurtful, and negative way. In fact, he even says that if someone is able to control their speech to such an extent that they have mastered their speech, 
They're well on their way to being a perfect man or a complete or mature person. And that, of course, is this. We see the affliction of our souls is manifested in our speech. Our tongues somehow are connected to our hearts. We think and we speak. And so often we speak so quickly that we realize we haven't really thought at all that what has come out of us is just an instinctive, innate eruption of the character of our souls. And when we're greatly smitten by our conscience, knowing that our speech is not anywhere near it ought to be, we're like the prophet Isaiah who stood before the glory of God and said, woe is me for I am unclean. I am a man of unclean lips. And when Paul, the Apostle Paul, wanted to describe the awfulness of depravity and sin that insidiously moves and corrupts every part of man's being, he quotes three Old Testament passages that talk about the speech. Hear them briefly. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Such a, a low view of speech. And the way James starts off is he admonishes the body. Remember, we've pointed out with James, he was the brother of our Lord. He was probably the first bishop or the first presiding elder in the church in Jerusalem and was primarily a pastor in every way. And his little book here is very, very pastoral. And so when he speaks, he speaks to the, the body, the congregation, the group. And one of the things he admonishes here in the very beginning of this, he said, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because there is a greater responsibility put upon the teacher. Interestingly enough, if you read the New Testament quite carefully, the gifts of speech are given to the ministers, the pastors, the teachers as a gift from God in order that they might admonish and and preach the gospel, and admonish God's people, and, 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 and do all of the things that are necessary to edify and build up the congregation. So it is a particular gift, it is a particular power that's given, and it's speech. And he says that there needs to be a critical and a deliberate reluctance to become one of these teachers, one of these speakers, one of these people that speaks before God's people. In fact, Jesus had really laid down an interesting standard. He said in his teaching, in his reaction and his interaction with his disciples and with the religious teachers of his day, Jesus said, don't aspire and try to be, ever be called rabbi, which means teacher. 
He said, because you really have only one teacher, and that is me, Jesus Christ. In that same passage, he said, don't call anyone or elevate anyone to the status of the term Father. For you have one Father. He is in heaven. Don't elevate or move anyone into the category of Master because you have just one Master. And it's interesting to <laughs> me, in the history of the Christian church, we seem like we picked up all of those terms. We call our teachers, teaching elders. We use that very term to name our office. Our Catholic brothers call their teachers Father. And the basic degree that seminarians receive is a master of theology. No one masters divinity, ever. Least of all those of us that start in our youth and get three short years of training for the ministry. There needs to be a meekness and a humility that if we, that we lack wisdom in this area. Remember, James has already said, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives. It will always be the prayer, I believe, of the true teacher that he is constantly calling upon the Lord to gift him, to grant him powers of speech that he might have a word fitly spoken, that he might have a word seasoned with salt, that he might have a word that is effective, that his word may not be just the Logos word, but it may be the Rhema word, that is the powerful word, the effective word. There is great power in speech, and because of that, like all of the great capacities given to humanity, we as a people as a race, as a creature, have abused it and taken it down. Now, there is a leveraged power in speech in the sense that it's all out of proportion to what it really is. Just a little simple tongue in a mouth fronted by lips. And everyone has that capacity. A little thing. And yet it can go forth to affect so many. And that's what he uses here with these beautiful illustrations. He likens it to the bit that is in the mouth of the horse. And even though the horse is a large and a strong and a self-willed animal, it is nevertheless controlled and guided by that little piece of metal that goes in one side of the mouth and comes out the other. And a great ship, I think what he has in mind here, probably visions, if not the ships and the small boats that they used on the Sea of Galilee to fish, it would be the great grain ships and the great cargo ships of the navies of the Mediterranean in that first century, where they would have huge, huge cargo 
and there'd be enough grain on one ship to feed the southern part of Greece for a year. And it was guided by a helmsman with a small rudder moving that ship wherever it needs to go. And this is the leveraged, the multiplied power of speech. And most of us just take it for granted, don't give it much thought, and only when we say something that we really regret saying do we really worry too much about it. But yet if you think of it, speech is like a little spark that sets ablaze a great fire, forest fire. And that's the way our speech is. The slander, the insult, the slight, the lie, the slight prevarication, the suggestion in the starting of a rumor, all can spread like wildfire and go wide to many people and deep and hurtful to hearts. And because speech is so powerful and so much abused, we have these admonitions here when he tells us about it. He says, it is not easy to tame the tongue. In fact, it's interesting that he says all four kinds or categories of the animal kingdom, the fish, the birds, the creeping things, the beast of the field, the four biblical categories of the large kinds are all to some extent able to be tamed and domesticated by man, controlled by man, guided by man, and found to be useful by man, except the tongue. And he talks about what he's done with it. He says, this tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. If we could hear the chatter of the whole earth at any one time, what would we hear? What are they talking about today in Washington, D.C.? What are they talking about today in the Middle East? What are they talking about today in Europe and in the Far East? What's on the minds? What's, what's the speech? Do we have in there aggressions? Do we have in there uh, covetousness? Is there larceny in the hearts of anyone speaking? Is there bitterness? If we could hear the chatter, and maybe the NSA can before it's over with, but if we could hear the chatter of all the world what would we hear? What would be the sum total? I think he's got it here. It would be a world of unrighteousness, a world of ungodliness, a world apart from God, a world that is positioned against God and posited 
against his Christ. And it says here, it's, it is the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It's the word for, for stain. It's the, it's the word splot. And it means a stain upon us. What is the stain of your speech upon others? What has spewed out of your mouth like a paint being sprayed and has infected and harmed others? Setting on fire the entire course of life, that's the, the whole circle of life, the whole process of life is affected by speech. Everywhere we turn, every, everywhere we turn, and is set on fire and set on fire by hell. It's the only use of this term hell outside of the Gospels where Jesus uses it 10 times. And it's the word Gehenna. And it means the valley of Hinnon, which was a valley there on the side of Jerusalem that was occupied by people in the ancient day who offered child sacrifice. And it was the ultimate valley, the ultimate place of curse. Good King Josiah put an end to human sacrifice, child sacrifice there in the valley of Hinnon. But it was always considered a cursed place and there was nothing about it that was useful to Jerusalem except for it to become the garbage dump. That's where the trash went. That's where the dead bodies of human beings and criminals went. That's where the dead bodies of animals were taken. And there was a fire incinerated there that always burned to destroy all of this refuse and, and rejected things of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus uses this picture of Gehenna, this, this burning trash heap as a picture of the eternal destruction and torment of the wicked. Have you ever heard someone refer that something is out of the pit of hell? Something comes from the pit of hell? How sad to think our speech, the things we say, comes from the pit of hell. And that's really what we do when we curse. Cursing is actually one more thing we do because we're in the image of God. God is the first one to pronounce curses in the scriptures and blessings. Blessings and curse come from the lips of God and we created in His image and in His likeness have Assume that posture and that privilege of cursing. And to curse is to condemn or to damn to Gehenna, to hell. And that's really what we do with our speech when we curse someone. We're saying to them in effect, go find your place outside of God, condemning them, cursing them to Gehenna, to hell. But what makes it powerful is we have to draw from some place to give our words power and punch. And the places we draw from is that which is most high and that which is most deep. We reach up to heaven 
and use the name of the Lord and use the name of God and use the name of Christ to invoke a curse upon someone. And you've heard them all your life, quite casually and some quite seriously. But then we also reach down. We go to that which is beneath. We go into the pits of hell and we use language from that. We use things of language of vulgarity, of human waste, and of sexuality to put power in our words, to curse people. Now I know I'm preaching to an upright, uptight Presbyterian congregation this morning who's really just kind of relaxed and none of this really applies to you because you're not that kind of person that would do that kind of activity, that kind of cursing. But haven't we all this morning in the last half hour spent our time praising God, blessing God, honoring Him? I believe we have. I hope we have. With the same tongue, the same tongue that sings the hymns, that prays the prayers, that lifts up all of the laudatory language of our liturgy is the same tongue that will have the snide and snarky comment. The same tongue that will move to sarcasm the same tongue that will degrade someone. And that's all James is telling us. He said, in the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And here's the way he says, it is his, my brother, brothers, these things ought not to be. By the way, that's one word in the Greek. It just means, it's just inconsistent with itself. It just shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't happen. In other words, it isn't that we eradicate it and it be gone. It just never should exist on the lips of the Christians. Our, our goal in speaking is to edify, to build up, to convey grace and mercy and love. And here's how we're able to do it. It's because God has given us a new source. And he talks about the source here, the source of the spring water. From the same mouth it, we pour out blessing and curse. From the same source can salt water, brine, brackish salt water, come out of the same spring source with fresh water. No. This is a matter of conversion. This is a matter of a wholesale change. This is a matter of not the, just the words that come out of our mouth, but has the powerful Word of God brought us alive to new birth and given us a new well, a new spring for our speech. If we speak out of our hearts, do we have a new heart? He says in the early part of the text, he says, we all stumble in many ways. That means a wide variety of ways. We all stumble in a wide variety of ways. 
But this is one area of our lives, and by God's grace, can be modified, changed, remedied. It is a behavioral modification that is possible as God gives us a new heart and a new mind and a new way of thinking and a new spring so that we give forth the true fruit of the true root. And he contrasts the trees, the fig tree doesn't bear olives, the grapevine doesn't produce figs. And a godly person doesn't produce ungodly, unrighteous, out of the pit of hell speech.